I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. This week, we've got Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who is the president of the Air Fuel Alliance on the show. Um... Wireless power is a fascinating area, and it's a really important area. Um, Sanjay is going to be demystifying how it works. There's 1D, 2D, 3D wireless power. You'll get to understand a bit about that. Uh, who's doing what in uh, in that space? We'll talk about some of the use cases. I think you're going to find this really interesting. The Mr. Beacon Ambient IoT Podcast is sponsored by Williot, bringing intelligence to every single thing. Well, Sanjay, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. Glad to be here. So you are president of the Air Fuel Alliance, and um, I really believe in this work that you're, uh, you and your members are pioneering. Wireless power is obviously something that relates to my, my day job, but what you're doing is, is much broader than, uh, uh, than uh, what my company does. So uh, tell us, uh, what is the Air Fuel Alliance? Yeah, so you know, the first thing, to remember is Air Fuel Alliance is a standards body, right? We are a not-for-profit. We are not a company who is in it to make money. We are at the end a collection of companies who have a shared belief and a passion at the end for wireless power, right? We need to eliminate the world of these cables to charge everything, right? You know, anything that has a battery probably needs a wire at some point in time or swap batteries, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so we need to get get the world rid of the wires around us and make us free. So that's what the members of Air Fuel at the end are all passionate about and committed to. What are the benefits of doing that? Obviously, it's kind of cool uh, sending power through the air, but... Uh... Uh, why is it important? Well, so, you know, I think, just think about the consumer experience today. If you look at my, if I open up my bag, and, you know, there are benefits at every different level, by the way, right? But let's think of the one that if I open my bag, I have a charger for my phone, my laptop, my earbuds, everything comes with its own charge, ah. right? Do I really need all these wires to charge everything? Do I need any wires, right? Why can't... I receive power very much like I get my data and my communications, right? Uh, you know, nobody uses Ethernet cables anymore. I think we've all realized wireless communication is way better. Uh, so, you know, from a consumer perspective, yeah, let's get rid of all of these wires. There is an advantage. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a little, you know, a freak who loves organization. I, I can't work if my desk is dirty. And I'm always looking to organize wires on my desk. Why do I need any of these wires on my desk? Why couldn't I charge everything that's on my desk from something far away? Maybe something underneath the desk completely hidden, right? Uh, so so that's kind of one side. Uh, but let's also think about a world that is a little bit closer to you, right? You know, we have these IoT devices and so on. Uh, devices that have batteries in them, small, you can't even find them, but they Mm -hmm. all, you know, use small amounts of power, but they still need batteries swapped in them every six months, a year maybe. 
And imagine how many of those end up in a landfill every year, right? What do you have to do to deliver power to these devices so that we can build them without batteries? And they can last as long as our silicon chips will last probably decades, right? So, and you know, I could go on and on about the benefits. There's something uh, that's a little bit, was a discovery for me, by the way, was, uh, hey, wireless power is not efficient and it's not eco-friendly or green in a, in a very loose way. And I realized, uh, once I started digging in, that actually wireless power is very green. In fact, what wireless power does, you know, today, if you look, a couple of billion chargers end up in a landfill. Every device you buy comes with a charger, comes with a cable they're all disposables at the end, right? They all end up in a landfill. How we are going to get rid of all of this is not is taking something which is a disposable and making it into an infrastructure, right? Something yeah. that can last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Wireless power allows you to do that, right? At the end, one charger can charge multiple devices. It's kind of built into your furniture, built into your home, kind of just is part of the infrastructure that we all depend on, right? Yeah. That's how we eliminate a lot of the waste uh, that's happening. And maybe the world gets all hung up about maybe wireless power isn't uh, maybe one or two percentage points less efficient than using a cable. Who cares, right? That's not the big thing. The big thing is all the waste that we are creating, by the way. Yeah, I think those are great reasons. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm into the kind of aesthetics. So there's definitely that. There's... Uh flexibility, there's lowering in cost, the sustainability. And um, I believe there's just whole new use cases, really important ones that can allow yeah. computing to become ambient. Uh, it can uh, go from billions to trillions of things and uh, um, uh, make, you know, just saving a few pennies on something that costs a few pennies can be the difference between a use case that works and doesn't work. And, uh, um, and, and absolutely and so many things that we can do, um, that will, uh, reduce, um, uh, all sorts of waste and crime and, uh, uh, climate impact. So um, I think you're doing the good work. Um, so, uh, I interrupted you and you were talking about the Air Fuel Alliance, but hopefully we've made the case for why what the Air Fuel Alliance is, is doing is important. Yeah, yeah, no, no, thank you. And, and no, it was a good good little segue. Uh, yeah, and you know, so Air Fuel Alliance is, is a global organization. We have members globally. All parts of what I would say the ecosystem participate in it. And our primary job is to write the technical specifications so that when people do the implementations, they can work with each other, right? In the wireless world, unfortunately, we always have a chicken and an egg problem, right? You don't have the, inf the investments needed to make a technology scale up happen if people can't believe the transmitters and the receivers can work together, right? And by the very nature, you're gonna have a multi-vendor environment. So you wanna make sure you have specifications that the industry as a whole believes in and trusts and are willing to say, yes, we will build implementations. Now it's good for everybody, right? You know, there's a myopic view that says, why should I be working with my competition? Actually, it helps grow the pie for everybody. Uh, so that's the first thing. The next thing that we do, which is making sure that when we write the technical specifications that we all believe are interoperable, we can certify them that they are interoperable at the end, right? So this gives the trust to the consumers and the market at large that the products have are proven to work together. They've been tested mm -hmm. to work together. So that's the primary job of Airfuel. The other aspect that we do, which is always very important also, is market and promote the technologies, right? In a new... When you're bringing new technology to market, something as new and different and disruptive as wireless power, uh, there's a lot of skeptics, right? There's a lot of, uh, you need to answer some tough questions, right? Is this thing going to be safe, for example? 
right? And so Air Fuel Alliance kind of works with the regulatory bodies, but also educates the larger community and the industry about all of these different topics that are relevant and making sure everybody understands the true state of development and what is realistic to do and so on, right? So, you know, I think that's the other aspect, which is also important to accelerate the adoption <laughs> of the technology, right? Uh, so, so I think those are the two big functions uh, that Air Fuel Alliance and its members do. So you can really help this technology uh, scale by making sure that products really are interoperable. They're designed and they're proven to be interoperable. You can harmonize it with the regulatory environment. Uh, you can make sure that it's safe and you can communicate the fact that it is um, safe. Um, so what's the status of the alliance? Do you, uh, do you have many members? What kind of members do you have? Yeah, so as I was saying, right, you know, I, I would say the who's who of consumer electronics uh-huh. are uh, are part of uh, Air Fuel Alliance, right? So yeah. whether these are, you know, technology providers, people who've been researching wireless power for decades, right? right. You know, and they have the core technology and the understanding in the community. But then, you know, you need integrated semiconductors, right? You're yeah. not going to build these with discrete parts. So we have the folks who build chips. Uh, we have the OEMs who actually integrate those chips into their products. We have uh, people who manufacture these products in Asia, by the way, are members, yeah. right? Uh, and when you're doing something as big as this, it's not just about the chips, but it's all about antennas and magnetics and ferrites, you know, all of these other things that you need to pull together, right? Yeah. And as we've gone through, we've realized, for example, even though the physics behind wireless power has been like a century old. There were innovations needed in power electronic semiconductors, by the way, yeah. right? So a lot of those companies are members of Airfuel so that, because they look at this and say, this is a market that I need to be in. Okay. So so we have you know somewhere around 50 to 60 members yeah. who work very closely together, all parts of the ecosystem distributed yeah. globally. And I know you can't name your favorite children, so but it's companies like uh, Samsung and Qualcomm, and then other um, companies that may be less familiar, like uh, Atmosic and so forth. Atmosic, uh, Energis, yeah. uh, very good. You know, yeah. ST Micro, yeah. uh, GAN yeah. Systems, EPC. I could go on and on and yeah. on, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know, these are all part of the ecosystem, and the key thing is all of them see the market opportunity in wireless power. That's why they are here. They know this is the experience that we need to push. This is something that is coming. So Air Fuel Alliance is not just about one standard though, is it? You've, it looks like you've got two families. Can you explain a bit about that? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And, uh, and maybe before we get to the two families, it's important to understand the kind of experiences Air fuel stands for, right? Uh, so if you look at what most people have experienced today when it comes to wireless power, right, is probably on their phone, charging it by putting it on a pad. But I think we all, all also understand that it's a one-to-one experience. One transmitter charges one receiver or one transmitter charges one device at a time. Okay. And the robustness to placement isn't quite what consumers expect, which is if you move your phone, let's say even a few millimeters, it doesn't quite charge as well, right? So even though technically, right, uh, you know, it is wireless power because there's no conductive path between the two. But when I ask a lot of consumers, is this what you think of wireless power? Is this the vision that you had when you bought a wireless charger? They'll say, Sanjay, no. Right, this is not what I expected, and people lose trust in the technology. So, what Airfuel Alliance, when it was formed, was yes, this is the first generation wireless power technology that's there today, but we need to deliver something better, a better experience for our customers. And it all starts with meeting that expectation of freedom, taking away the constraints. 
for example, right, if I want to put my device in a general, I like to call it actually, you know, left-handed blind bracement. And I don't want to hear insult anybody who's left-handed. I'm right-handed, right? So, you know, I usually walk around with a coffee in my right hand, my laptop in the other hand, mm-hmm. or my phone, and I want to just place it on my desk and it should charge without me worrying about anything, ah. right? That's the kind of experience we want to enable, right? A lot of the thing that I hear from people is, Sanjay, just give me Wi-Fi-like wireless power experience. Why can't I just do that, right? This very three-dimensional experience, I have a access point or a wireless power transmitter in somewhere in my room and it charges everything in my room. Mm-hmm. Just give that to me, right? And so the members and what Airfield Alliance is committed to is within the regulatory system that exists and without compromising safety and so on is to get as close to that experience as possible, right? So in a way, deliver freedom. Yeah, And so the two standards that we have now, one is called magnetic resonance, which can deliver, I would say, hundreds of watts of power along a surface, right? Or a small volume around the surface. And the surface is a mathematical surface. It could be flat. It could be the the surface of a sphere or a bowl or whatever, and you can charge your phone, you can charge your laptop, you can charge multiple devices, it doesn't matter what they are at the same time, right? So kind of don't let it be a one-to-one experience. I want to charge multiple devices simultaneously. Each one needs its own amount of power and you can just place them and you know they're charging. Mm. The second, so that's the magnetic resonance technology. And then the other technology that we have is, you know, very much like Wi-Fi. It's radiating power. It's called far-field radiative wireless power. It's radiating power in a three-dimensional space. And that technology is, you clearly cannot deliver, even though in a lab you can certainly do that. Commercially, you cannot do more than a few, you cannot transmit more than a few watts of power and still meet the existing global regulatory and uh, regulations in place, mm-hmm. right? Uh, now, a lot of people said, Sanjay, what are people going to do if I can only send out a few watts by the time I receive it a few meters away, I can only get a milliwatt or two. What good mm-hmm. is that? And this is when, if you step back and you think about it, uh, due to innovation in, in semiconductors and computing and wireless communication, by the way, a lot of our IoT devices, like temp sensors, humidity sensors, all kinds of you know door sensors, window sensors, I could go on and on. That's all that they need, right? Uh, so, so this technology, the radiative or the RF wireless power standard that we just released, allows you to kind of create that market for these IoT devices now of all different kinds. And you can build them without batteries in them. To me, that is the game changer. And I have realized, and a lot of people are realizing now, everybody thought you know, the consumer electronic cell phones were the biggest market. Yeah, you sell and- 2 billion cell phones roughly every year. But the number of IoT devices that are being sold are way, like order of magnitude higher than two, right? We're talking 20 billion IoT devices every year now and more. Yeah. Right, and my number may be conservative. So there is a tremendous need and market, and the impact of this technology is is very, I would say, fundamental. Right? Yeah. Imagine how many. If I didn't have to worry about coin cell batteries and so on, uh, I would start seeing them everywhere. Right? You know, kind yeah. of just like use use the word ambient, ambient computing, yes. ambient IoT. That is what this technology enables at the end. No, I agree. You get into, so yeah, I think your numbers are slightly conservative, but in the future, I, I, I think uh, uh, as the, the sensors get into uh, food containers, medicine, clothing, important Everything. documents will be tracked in, in, in real time. Then, then you go from tens of billions to hundreds and, and definitely trillions. You, you look at the amount of uh, um, uh, uh, sample bottles that are used for capturing blood and uh, vaccine vials where 
How many people exactly. have been injected with vaccines that were at the wrong temperature and were ineffective? We don't know because that world is offline. And so wireless power is one of the uh, the the, uh, the things that uh, exactly is, uh, just tracking to everything. To me, everything needs this thing. Uh, in a way, if the industry can deliver these IoT sensors that don't need batteries and are cheap, uh-huh. they will be on everything, right? There's yeah. no reason why uh, it shouldn't be that way, like you were saying. And I, I'm just sort of realizing as I listen to myself that some people may be wondering about the my day job and, and the relevance <laughs> to this. So I'm going to kind of do something which I always hesitated to, which is talk about the company I work for. So, you know, we... Uh, please Willier, do, please do. <laughs> we're here. We, uh, <laughs> we work with you guys, but we, we are um, independent of, of the standards that you have. It just so happens that your standards are, are a catalyst for um, uh, very bountiful sources of power that our devices can harvest. But... We harvest energy from other things, everything from FM radio to uh, Bluetooth <laughs> signals, things that are not air right. fuel outlined. So, so we operate in the same orbit. I think we have very similar ideas, and a number of your uh, members uh, are working uh, with us. And I, so, I, but but it's not we're not dependent on you. You're not dependent on us. And the reason why I invited you on was. It was an area that I uh, just thought was uh, fascinating. I wanted to know more about it. And one of the things I wanted to know more about is, uh, you know, I'm a computer scientist by training. Uh, I'm not an electrical engineer. Um, uh, so I am spend my whole life trying to understand what these geniuses I work with uh, do. But can you explain in simple terms, how does the magnetic resonance technology work? And then the, 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 uh, the, the 3D thing, what what are the differences in how that works? Well, okay, so we could go on for an hour or maybe more, uh, uh, but I'll I'll try and keep it really simple, right? the The physics of any wireless power have not changed, right? And it's very simply about if you put an oscillating current, let's say. In a coil, it will create an oscillating magnetic field or electric field. It's at the end, it's electromagnetic in nature, right? And then, if you put another coil in that field, you can harvest energy. So that's, you know, at a very high level, the basics of wireless power transfer, right? Now, the key thing is, and this is what differentiates the different technologies, is one whether you are near field or far field. In near field the distance between the transmitter and the receiver is less than the wavelength of the frequency that you're using, right? Now, you say, who cares about that? The benefit of doing that is the efficiency will tend to be very high because any energy, if you minimize the radiated energy and all the energy is concentrated in the near field, then any energy that isn't sucked up by the receiver can go back you know, this, uh, into the transmitter, so nothing is really being wasted, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so that's the resonant magnetic induction kind of technology. Now, when you talk about radiative, you typically use a much higher frequency. So the wavelengths can get small, the antennas can get really small, and then you're basically radiating energy in a 3D pattern, the, which is very much like what the cellular communications works or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, right? They're all mm-hmm. radiated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can, ha- because you're receiving a signal, you're getting some energy. In mm-hmm. traditional communications, you just want to extract the signal. Even if you get a very, very small amount of energy, you can extract your data out of it. If, when you're doing with wireless power, the challenge is I'm not interested in extracting the data, but I'm actually extracting the energy uh, from uh, the signal that I received. And, you know, that signal tends to get weaker and weaker as with distance, right? It will decrease uh, with the square of the distance, roughly. Uh, yeah. Again, dependent on your antenna design and so on, right? So the the RF power solutions are in 3D. What you have to do to make it work in a 3D-like environment is 
you have to be in the radiative regime, right? Which means the distance between the transmitter and the receiver have to be greater than the wavelength of whatever frequency you're using to put into okay. this uh, transmitting system. Typically for RF systems or these Wi-Fi-like systems, you would use a frequency closer to a gigahertz, right? Uh, very similar to the frequencies that you would use for your communications, you know, cellular oh. Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and so on. Uh, the Airfuel RF standard uses uh, the 915 megahertz ISM band, but as you said, you can use the 2.4, which is being used for Bluetooth, for example. People are talking about going millimeter wave, uh, you know, which is 30 gigahertz and so on as well. Uh -huh. And each one of those frequencies has interesting trade-offs for overall system design. And, you know, people ask me this question all the time, Sanjay, what is the right solution for me or what is the, will the industry have one solution? And I always go back and remind them, you know, if you look at my cell phone today and look at how many different communi wireless communication technologies are in my cell phone. Wow. I've got cellular and how many different bands of cellular and 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, RFID, NFC. You know, I could go on and on, right? So there's not one wireless communication standard. Depending on the use case, there's a different technology. Yeah. Same that with wireless sense. power. Depending on how much power, what distance, what your use case, and so on, there will be multiple kind of technologies in place. And the job of a product designer is to choose the one that is the most appropriate for his use case that delivers the best experience at the end. And so, are there, if you can you help us position the other standards in this space? I don't know whether you consider them to be competitive or not, but like, um, um, there's, uh, People are starting to develop wireless uh, power uh, for cars and that sort of thing. Is that outside of your um, uh, bailiwick? Uh, no. So yeah, I can I can definitely help explain. Right. Mm -hmm. So there are the first generation standards, right? The first like cellular. Well, you know, the first generation was analog, which is where I kind of started my career, right? And we went to two G, three G, four G, five G, and we're talking six G now. Right. So the first generation technology is, you know, what I like to call magnetic induction, which we've seen on our electric toothbrush or a cell phone. Right. And that technology works in hundreds of kilohertz of operating frequency, just because that was the best semiconductors I had available, not yeah. because of anything else. You know, the physics of all of this has been very well known. The challenge with that is because of the physics, I get very little positional freedom. As a result, and that's of that. important. I mean, the number of times I have charged uh, a device uh, or a full had charged a, a device, you were charging. Uh, and I haven't, and then I'm stuck. The thing's dead, and I need it, and I'm like cursing. Exactly. And I'm like, okay, wireless power doesn't work. I'm going to go back to good old cables. So that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, and and the reason for why it is not charging is because I'm using a very very low frequency. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that was dictated by the power electronic semiconductors I had, right? You know, mm -hmm. Especially the silicon MOSFET, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was not very efficient if you try to increase the frequency of operating too much. Then we have the next generation technology, the second generation technology, very much like GSM to the analog cell phone, right? The frequency of operation now has gone up by 50 times almost. And this has all happened because of this magical semiconductor technology called gallium nitride. You know, I can't say enough about gallium nitride. You know, that mm -hmm. is what has, you probably seen, uh, you know, the charging bricks for my phone and my laptop, right? Suddenly they seem to be shrinking in size in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And it's all because of this magical thing called gallium nitride, right? they allow me to operate at much higher frequencies, which allow me to then shrink the size of all the capacitors and inductors in these power supplies, which is what I uh -huh. need, right? So if you increase the operating frequency by, let's say, two orders of magnitude, which is really what we have done from first generation to, let's say, the air fuel resonance standard, it allows me to basically increase the sweet spot by that same amount. Um, Right, so that is what makes the experience so awesome. 
in the sense that, yes, I can now design something. And you may remember this, Steve. You know, there was a product called Air Fuel, uh, Air Power that uh, Apple had announced a few years ago, mm -hmm. right? This little, you know, eight by eleven sized uh, sheet of uh, device that you could put your phone, your uh, all your Apple accessories on it, and charge, right? Uh, and the challenge why Apple could not deliver that product at its very core was because the operating frequency was still stuck in hundreds of kilohertz. So we mm -hmm. were fighting physics at that point in time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but today we can build those systems where you can charge multiple devices simultaneously, all requiring different amounts of power because my operating frequency can be much higher. And it's not because I suddenly learned some neophysics. No, we always known this thing. It's all about semiconductors at the end, right? And then the RF technology, which is, you know, the kind of radiating energy in free space, the challenge there has been really what is safe or what will the regulatory bodies allow you to do at the end, right? Mm -hmm. We've all heard about, right? Every time there's a new cellular communications technology, Right, you know, there's always a group of people who will start saying, hey, will this give you cancer? Will this, you know, maybe you can't have babies anymore if you carry these devices in your pockets right. and so on. And by the way, the last 20 plus years, how much energy you can send out at what frequency is closely regulated by government bodies. So when we're talking about radiative energy transfer, that technology needs to follow exactly the same rules that exist today. Mm -hmm. Within those existing constraints, how much power you can send, and that kind of, at the end, dictates how much power you can receive at a given distance. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So you're governed by the same standards that govern communications, basically. Exactly. For Yeah. So for wireless power, we have not gone and asked, let's say, the FCC to change the rules for us, mm -hmm. right? Uh, there are global independent bodies who tell us and tell the industry and the governments what is safe, right? We don't, we don't make stuff up ourselves. There are people who do this for a living and they provide the guidance to us and say, hey, this is how much you can, uh, energy you can transfer safely and under what conditions. Very so good. we follow the same rules. So getting back to the competitive question, so, so um, Chi or Ki or whatever, however uh -huh. you pronounce or spell it, I'm a branding guy, so I really have a problem with anything that has that amount of ambiguity <laughs> around it. Um, but how do, do, does how does that compare with what you guys do? Well, yeah, so the, what I say, the Qi technology is the first generation technology. Working uh -huh. at 100 kilohertz gives you spatial freedom at best of a few millimeters. Got it. The next generation technologies, if you need higher amounts of power, you can increase the frequency by a couple of orders of magnitude. And now you can create surfaces. So, you know, so go from what is called, I like to call it point charging to a two-dimensional charging. A surface at the end is a two-dimensional space uh -huh. in mathematics, right? And then if you increase the frequency, another couple of orders of magnitude, so you're ending up close to a gigahertz, now you can get a 3D environment, you know, which is what everybody wants. 
And I tell everybody, yes, you can have 3D charging. I can show this to you in a lab. But we still need to operate within the constraints of the regulatory uh, restrictions in place and what is provably safe, right? So it's not that I can't send out 100 watts of power at a gigahertz. We know how to do that. We just, you probably don't get the permission to introduce that product in the market in a consumer environment. Makes sense. And then, um, so the, but the car charging uh, um, standards, uh, is that you or is that uh, other uh, groups? Yeah, so no, so we uh, actually, uh, the car charging standards, and maybe I should uh, speak a little bit about what this whole vision is, right? You know, EVs are everywhere now. Nobody loves plugging their uh, EVs. Uh, you know, that's not, uh, again, uh, an experience that is like fun and exciting, right? Wouldn't it be beautiful if you could just drive into your garage and your car is charging from something underneath the garage floor or you park your car on the street and your your car is just charging from underneath the street and eventually while you're driving on the street, your car is being charged constantly while driving. That's uh. maybe a little bit away. Now, to charge a car, you need you know, energy of 10 kilowatts or more, right? You know, Tesla is charging about these DC charges. We do 200 kilowatts, uh, right? Uh, you know, a few hundred watts isn't going to do anything to an electric vehicle. Given the amount of power that you need, even the gallium nitride that is available, semiconductors available today, they cannot handle so much power, right? So by default, all of the EV ch wireless charging standard today is at 85 kilohertz, which is kind of like the chi kind of frequency because it's not as if the EV charging experience will improve if you could use higher frequencies, right? Then you don't have to worry, is my car parked exactly perfectly? I don't need alignment systems in my car, you know, autonomous alignment systems in my car and so on. But we still need some more innovation in gallium nitride or other semiconductors to be able to handle these higher frequency of operation at significantly higher power levels, mm -hmm. right? And I always remind people it's important to think about, you know, when I'm charging a car at 10 kilowatts per second, and my system is very efficient, it's 90% efficient. Great, I still have a kilowatt of energy going somewhere. Guess uh, what became to that kilowatt of energy at 90% efficiency? It became heat. Yes. One kilowatt is a lot of power. Yes. And you you have to figure out what you're going to do with that kilowatt of heat. Yes. Right? Uh, it's a hazard. Imagine yeah. you're, you know, if the transmitter is that hot, will you will somebody burn themselves by sitting yeah. on it? Maybe your dog decided to do something. Yeah. What you know? So, uh, so for that, all of these reasons today, the EV standards are working at uh, eighty-five kilohertz. Very good. But Very they good. would love to move to higher frequencies. I think the benefits, uh, of course, are there. Yes. So, um, I have an insider, bit of an insider question for for companies that join the Air Fuel Alliance and start to participate in the standards making. What was the approach you took to intellectual property? There's different approaches to that. And uh, yeah. um, a lot of companies, uh, you know, on one hand, you want interoperability and you want to be part of this bigger market. On the other hand, you don't want to uh, find that all those patents that you've uh, used to raise money suddenly uh, are not worth anything. Yeah, yeah. Great, great question, Stephen. You know, this is... Probably the question that I get asked the most when members are looking to join, mm -hmm. right? And this is an area where we did not innovate. What we did was we followed the best practices from the industry right. and the IPR policy uh, that Airfuel has is called RAND, which is you know stands for reasonable and non-discriminatory, mm -hmm. right? And what that means is you know. Like you were saying, you don't want to make access to IP free because you want to create, give companies incentive to innovate and create IP, right? So 
what we do is every company, every member company in Airfuel has an obligation to license the IP to all our other members, right? So you cannot say, I'm going to license only to my friends. You have to license to everybody else who's an Airfuel member on the same terms, right? So non-discriminatory and fair and reasonable. So, but fair and reasonable is not Airfuel deciding this or a group of people deciding this. At the end, every company uh, gets to decide for themselves what is fair and what's a reasonable price for their IP, right? And by the way, this is something that this RAND IPR policy has been very successful. I would say it's probably at the core of why we're all using cellular networks today, right? And, you know, the cellular standards have been so successful and so widely adopted. And that entire standard structure is based on the same IPR policy because it rewards people, it rewards innovation, but also allows us to create a big market. The other little nuance, which is, and by the way, I should probably preface this by saying I'm not a lawyer, I'm just a geek, right? Is the obligation to license is only for what we, what I like to say, standards essential IP. A lot of companies, you know, think when they join Airfuel or another standards organization under, say, a RAND IPR policy, the obligation to license is for all of their patents that they own, right? Which isn't exactly the case at all, right? You know, this is this obligation is for a very small number of claims in a patent, which are deemed to be essential to the standard which means there is no known way of implementing the standard and being interoperable with the market without infringing on that claim. Your obligation, a company's obligation, is only to license those essential claims and nothing else, right? So it's a very small, it's not like your entire IP portfolio you have to go license to others. Uh, so I think it comforts people when they realize, okay, I can build a very strong IP portfolio and still be a member and have a balance of essential IP and nice to have IP and something that's just not essential or nothing to do with the standard, for example. Very good. That's a great explanation. Well, Sanjay, we have to move the conversation on. I've got some uh, pressing questions about you and your career, but thanks for uh, introducing us to Air Fuel Alliance and uh, Wireless Power. I feel a tiny bit smarter than I was uh, half an hour ago. No, thank you. It was, I really enjoyed the conversation. Good fun. So, Sanjay, did you grow up in India? Yeah, I did. I did. What was that like? It was interesting. It was, I would say it's chaotic, right? And, you know, I, I grew up in a small family, uh, you know, very much, I would say, middle class had to mouth, mm -hmm. uh, a family that uh, was focused on education, right? And, you know, uh, and it was fun. It was, it was really fun. It was, you know, we were very much what I would say, seat of the pants kind of, uh, a country and a culture and, you know, take life as it comes. So you, you're a doctor, Dr. Gupta. Were you the first PhD in your family or? Uh, yes, first and only still. Oh. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So how do you get um, from where you grew up to leading a international uh, industry alliance dealing with complex business technical issues with some of the largest companies in the world. How, how, how did you get there? You know, it's, uh, I wish I could say I planned it all, right? You know, this is something <laughs> I knew what I was going to do when I was like 15, 16, 18. No, I think this is just how my life has evolved and how, you know, my own thinking has evolved, right? Uh -huh. You know, I, I've always been a little bit of a geek. Uh -huh. uh, you know, doing new things, challenging things, doing things differently was kind of maybe a little bit of a rebel at me. Uh, 
you you were um, a, a university professor, right? So you, you, uh, yeah, that's... I was. I was, and you know that was that was what everybody wanted to do once they did their PhD. At least that's where you know when I went oh. to Japan and you know did that. That's that was the thing to do. And a couple of years into my teaching career, I realized that wasn't for me. Right? You know, I was. I'm an impatient person. People that know me know Sanjay is very impatient. Uh, he wants to make an impact. He is not the slow and steady guy. And my temperament and my behaviors are better suited for the corporate world. And I realized, you know, I grew up in the earliest days of the internet, right? You know, even TCP IP was kind of just being figured out. And, and you think you're doing awesome work in academia. And <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to take a look at it, right? You know, people in the industry are moving fast and furious, uh, uh, doing their own things. And I realized, you know, if I was going to make an impact, academics was not the place that positions you to do this, at least in my field, uh -huh. in what I was trying to do, which was wireless communications, networking, data networking, IP, everything. That wasn't the place. And I literally left academics on a whim. And this is an anecdote that I love telling. I woke up in the middle of the night one day when I was still a professor, all sweaty and thinking about what am I going to tell my grandkids when they grow up about what I did? And like, okay, I'm going to have a closet full of papers, academic stuff that maybe very few people have read. And I couldn't explain anything to them. Literally, that was the thing. And I wasn't even married. I didn't even have kids. You know, and you'd start dreaming about grandkids, right? That's kind of okay. a little uh, crazy. But I went to my department chair the next morning and said, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to leave. And I'm going to do something else with no idea what I was going to do. But I told him my intention was to leave the end of the semester. It was January. So that was it. Well, and I'm so glad I did that, by the way. Uh, yes. Because my earliest standards, uh, I have lots of standard stories to tell as well. You know, uh, I joined Motorola after I left uh, the university. And because the only thing I knew was data, I had no idea how the circuit switch phone call worked in those days, which is what mm -hmm. everybody was using. I said, Sanjay, well, you can work on data here. And I didn't know what to do. And so I started, you know, kind of laying the foundation for some of the first earliest work on GPRS. I wrote a lot of the 3G, uh, you know, 3GPP and Etsy, the, the foundations of 3GSM, how to do data architecture uh -huh. and so on. So, and, you know, one thing left to the other, basically, right? And I end up, and there's a long story, we can go into it about, uh, wireless charging becoming my next passion. Yeah. So you're doing that. You're working for a series of companies. I can see how you start to get into this wireless power area. Um, but what was it that made you decide that you wanted to herd cats uh, in the in the alliance world? Yeah. So I'll tell you, uh, and, and this goes back to my first brush with standards, right? Which is how to do data over cellular. This is, I would say, mid to late 90s. And, you know, you have to understand, I'm coming from a very academic background, and I thought standards was all about the best technical solutions. And my first standards meeting in Europe opened my eyes. I said, geez, I came back. Yeah, there were technical arguments, but this was not about technology. These were business arguments being wrapped up in some, you know, technical mumbo jumbo being heard back and forth. And and I said, wow, this is interesting. This is really interesting because everybody's advocating for their companies and very selfish business interests. Right. But do it in a you know, in a technical way. Right. Mm -hmm. Or at least on the face of it looks technical. And 
I became very good at it. I re- I, I learned the stuff. I figured, uh, you know, I it, there was so much for me to learn, not just about technology, but about business and everything else. And in those few years of me doing standards and leading the Motorola standards or a team uh, doing data or cellular, I grew immensely. I think I kind of used that three or four years kind of as a foundation for what I have become. Uh, So anyway, so, you know, there is a certain amount of impact that happens, right? You know, and I talked about telling my grandkids what I accomplished, right? And, you know, to me, if you use a cell phone, I can say there is a little bit of me inside every cell phone, right? If Uh if I wasn't doing the standards, the specs would have looked quite a bit different today, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe things are architected very differently. Uh, you know, you can't probably have lots of patents that are on every implemented on every cell phone today, right? So to me, that's all about the impact. Yeah. Uh, that in a way you can communicate in a way a small kid can understand. Yeah. And wireless power is that next big opportunity, right? I think it is huge. This is the last wire in a way left in our lives now, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there is this need to charge everything. It's not normal. Be- you know, human beings love their freedom. They want to be untethered, really. Uh-huh. And to me, this is the next big uh, opportunity, right? You know, for me to make an impact. Uh, yes. That makes sense. That makes sense. Very good. Okay, Sanjay. So, uh, hardest question of our interview, what are your uh, three songs that are memorable? Wolf, since you warned me about it, I've been like obsessing about this, right? So, <laughs> uh, so I'll tell you, I have three things picked out, and they all have their own stories, by the way. So, uh, and Steve, you know, you'll get to know me. You know, I'm a big, I, I love to cook, by the way, right? Oh. So, uh, and so the first song I have is a song that, you know, if you come home, uh, come to my home for dinner, uh, which uh-huh. I love entertaining people over dinner, then uh-huh. you're definitely going to hear this. This is my song that I listen to when I'm cooking. You know, it just kind of calms me down, just tunes everything out in the background for me. And then I listen to it. And it's a song. It's a fusion song, by the way. Uh-huh. Uh, it's uh, Indian and American. Uh, a little bit, uh, uh, and it's called Making Music by Zakir Hussain, who's on Tabla. Uh, there's a musician you may have heard of, Jan Garbarek, who's on the sax, uh, um, John yes. McLaughlin, yes. who's on the guitar, and then yeah. uh, Hari Pras- Prasad Chorasia, who's on the flute. Uh, amazing, amazing song. If you're interested, I'm happy to play just a little, like 10 seconds of it. I, I would love to. We can't because of um, rights <laughs> reasons. In the old days, earlier before Spotify got really picky about this, actually wasn't. Anyway, the, one of the, I, uh, I think it was YouTube, one of them uh, gets yeah. really um, fussy about yeah. that. Which, and we I used see. to play a, a bit of the music in the background. It's very nice. So we can't do it. But uh, what if you send me the URL, what we will do is we'll put it in the, um, in the notes on the episode. Yeah, and it's such a beautiful song. It's fusion. It's kind of reflects me, like Indian American. You know, it's kind of a little bit of a mixed identity now. And this is like truly world music. And uh, I love world music. Yeah, it's uh, no word, just uh, just instruments, but beautiful, beautiful, fantastic. And I'm I'm going to give you some uh, uh, feedback. You may be aware of this already, but. I'm sure you've heard of that uh, Dale Carnegie book, uh, How to Make Friends and Influence People. I feel like he missed something out, which was, if you say, I love to cook, I love to entertain. It's like, (laughs) I'm like, oh, right. (laughs) Fantastic. No, absolutely, Steve. If you come over to Boston, dinner at my place. (laughs) Excellent. Very good. This has been a worthwhile interview. Uh, what's What's your second show? Okay, the second song you I'm definitely sure you've heard it. It's uh it's Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. Of course. Uh yeah. you know, to me this is the song 
that I like to listen when I need some energy. This is like caffeine for me. I typically uh-huh. listen to it when there's nobody at home, so I can just like get the volume turned up really loud till the windows are shaking. Uh, but it's something I grew up as a teenager, you know. <laughs> uh, so this and Pink Floyd, you know, Dire Straits, Pink Floyd uh, was the music I used to love. Still love it. Uh, the most Where amazing is thing is my kids still love it. That is so gratifying, isn't it? I, I, um, one of my kids is very receptive to my music, and I love talking about. It. And the other one is, I just need to say something. It's like, ah, that's terrible. That's old. No one is that anymore. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So they love this thing as well. So this is, you know, we're in the car, and we've got to have to play this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the third song I have, you know, talking about kids. Uh, so it's a very interesting song. Uh, and, and, you know, I told you, like, I'm a geek. We're a family of geeks. And uh, so the third, so our younger son, who was in high school a few years ago, and we didn't know he was, he, he was playing music. We had no clue. He just invited us over to his school one day and said, Mom and Dad, maybe you guys want to come. We'll do some stuff, and maybe you can come and listen. You guys are bored at home in any case. So we go to school, right? And then suddenly we see this guy. He's the lead singer for the school band. And he's doing such a phenomenal job. That is like, I can't believe it, right? And and so the song uh, was superpositioned by Young the Giant. I don't know if you heard this band. I don't know. I don't. Uh, I, I'll tell you the story behind this band. And I, I still think my son had little subliminal messaging for me on this one. Yeah. So the story is, this band is uh, fronted by an Indian kid named Samir Gadia. Uh, he grew up in Michigan, comes from a family of uh, you know classical Indian uh, musicians, you know very much like Zakir Hussain and the group. Mm-hmm. But I think you know there's a stereotype: Indians tend to be a little geeks, and for I think uh, his family somehow convinced him. And he was studying uh, human biology at Stanford. And while he's doing that, he just realized that wasn't for him. He was going to go do music. And even though he was trained in Indian classical music because of his family, he said he was going to do American rock. <laughs> so so this is the, the band. This is a song uh, by him. And he's actually quite successful. You know, <laughs> so they've, uh, they've been very successful and then this is a song about quantum physics, right? So think about a guy. <laughs> but it's a beautiful song. I know we can't play it here, but you should absolutely listen to it. I wish I had the recording of my son singing it. Oh, my uh, goodness. Uh, yeah, but uh, it, it's it's amazing. Uh, it, it's amazing. So uh, maybe a little bit unconventional songs, but uh, everything had a meaning for me. I, I love it. I'm going to listen to all three. Please do send uh, the YouTube links and we'll in the description. That's very good. Well, Sanjay, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. My pleasure. Great to, great to be here. So that was my conversation with Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Wonderful chap. Um, I hope you found it as interesting as I did. Please do rate us, tell your friends, And most importantly, look out for our next episode. We really appreciate you uh, tuning in and listening, whatever the medium is. Uh, Some of you will hear the odd adverts. um, uh, Just to let you know, as I work for Williot, it doesn't seem right for me to keep that revenue. So what we do is we donate it to uh, the Monarch School, uh, which is a local school that caters for... Uh, the children of homeless people. So thanks for your loyalty and interest and look forward to engaging with you next time. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.